Good morning, friends. And whether this is your uh, first time here or first time in a long time, whether you've gathered for worship here physically or uh, digitally, welcome to chapel. Um, if we haven't met yet, I see a few faces I don't recognize. Um, my name's Brad Eisenhagen. I'm the chapel minister here um, this year. And anything that we need to share before we get started? All right, friends, well, we are delighted to have our friend um, Anton Flores Mason not here to share with us, and we'll hear more about him and his ministry later. But uh, for now, to get started, let us prepare ourselves with a deep breath in together and a deep breath out. And let's join together in a prayer. The words will appear on the screens around you. You who open doors and dismantle barriers, open our hearts to praise you, that we might live the full truth of who we are, that we might live as neighbors and friends, no longer strangers and enemies. Open our hearts to the transforming power of your love, that we might forgive and reconcile, making peace and learning war no more that we might be your people, one body and one spirit, to tell your grace to all the world. We pray in the name of the one who walked among us as brother and friend. Amen. All right, our next, uh, uh, I invite you to stand in body or spirit, however you're most comfortable for our first hymn. Uh, you can find that on, uh, in your Voices Together hymnal at 174 or on the screens around you. Psalm 42. As the deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me continually, 
Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in the procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mysar, deep calls to deep at the thunder of your turrets. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night the songs is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully? Because the enemy oppresses me, as with the deadly wound of my body, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. A reading from the Gospel of Matthew. And some people were carrying a paralyzed man lying on a stretcher. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, child, your sins are forgiven. Then some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, perceiving their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to stand? Say, stand up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, stand up, take up your bed and go to your home. And he stood up and he went to his home. When the crowd saw it, they were filled with awe, and they glorified God who had given such authority to human beings. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Anton Flores Masonette is the founding director, director of Casa Alterna, a ministry that has provided hospitality to over 500 asylum seekers from over 50 countries just since 2020. Anton and his spouse Charlotte also serve as interim co-pastors of Atlanta Mennonite Church and live at Atlanta Friends Meeting as friends in residence. It's my uh, honor and delight to introduce to you Anton. Brent didn't mention that we might have some mutual friends. Brent has uh, Georgia roots or ties, and I'm looking forward to kind of exploring that with him. And it is really great to be back here uh, at Eastern Mennonite and to be in this beautiful place. Although I was here, I think, about four years ago, and it was also the first week of October. I need to keep reminding myself, try to come later in October. I always am hoping I'm going to get some sneak peek at fall foliage and I'm always just a bit early, so, but it is, it is wonderful uh, to be here. As was stated, we have been uh, offering a, uh, hospitality to asylum seekers from all over the world, fift, over 50 different countries uh, and over 500 guests uh, in just the past three years. They stay with us an average of about two nights, but we also have a house for unhoused asylum seekers that is owned by Atlanta Mennonite Church and we currently have seven uh, Venezuelans living with us in, in, that, in that place. Uh, but one of the things that I love to do is I love to take our guests out to eat. Uh, my favorite thing to do is actually to take them to a, country, to a restaurant of their country of origin. But I want to share one story about a gentleman, and we did not go to a restaurant of his country of origin. Instead, we went to Waffle House. Uh, so... Yeah. So this was Oscar, I'll call him. This was Oscar's first time ever eating in an American restaurant and first time ever eating in a Waffle House. It was his first time ever trying, and he fell in love with hash browns. <laughs> um, 
as we sat there, uh, I've just finished a certificate in, in, in spiritual direction at Columbia Theological Seminary in, in Decatur, where I live. And I was like, well, let me see if I can put this into practice, even in a Waffle House. So, so I listened to Oscar very contemplatively, very deeply, uh, as we both ate our hash browns. And I learned about Oscar's story. Oscar was from South America, is from South America, where he earned his living as a truck driver. Uh, but in this one moment of vulnerability and grace, he shared with me a bit of his trauma. Armed men had stopped his truck, pulled him out of the vehicle, burned the truck, and kidnapped him. Oscar was eventually able to escape from these individuals, but this incident understandably shook him to his core. It crushed his heart. He knew in that moment that he would have to flee his country and seek refuge. But his wife was pregnant, and so it complicated things. He and his wife nevertheless tried to get passports to begin their journey to the United States, but there was a, there was a typo in some government ID of his wife's, and she was unable to procure a passport. And so they waited with a lot of anxiety, with a lot of fear, and Oscar Jr. was born. When Oscar Jr. was, uh, was still a newborn, though, Oscar Sr. made the decision to leave. And basically telling his wife and his son, take heart. I will send for you when I am able. This was a conversation in a Waffle House. The Waffle House became a sanctuary. In today's text, Jesus is in an ordinary place where he happens to stop and have an encounter with someone that most people would have just passed by. There is a man who is paralyzed and lying on the ground. And Jesus pauses and looks at the man, and the very first words that, that are recorded that come out of Jesus' mouth is, take heart. Now, if Jesus had stopped and only said, take heart and nothing else, uh, I would have been very disappointed in Jesus. I mean, but if I'm honest, many of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we would do that or even less. We might offer just the empty platitude of be encouraged, take heart. Or we might just keep going and act as though we did not see that person. Or God forbid, if we actually did see that person, if we were so accustomed to the sufferings around us that we were blind to it. My work is with asylum seekers. My work historically has been with immigrants who, who lack legal status. And I also know how all too often even folks who call themselves Christians not only just ignore or are silent or are blind or give empty platitudes, but who even engage in some of the most dehumanizing and derogatory language wouldn't say take heart. Would say all manners of, of ugly things to the stranger that we're called to welcome. And so our name of our ministry is Casa Alterna, taken from the, the theologian Walter Brueggemann and his book, The Prophetic Imagination, where he envisioned that the, the prophetic community of God would be an alternative to the dominant systems and narratives of our time. And so alternative, alterna works good in English and Spanish, alternativa, alternative. And so we wanted to be, since our inception in 2006, an alternative. We wanted to be the Jesus that would stop and not just say take heart, but go even further. But I love that idea of taking heart because in Spanish, uh, corazón, it means heart, 
uh, or coraje means courage. The words of, of heart and courage come together, and uh, it's Brene Brown who writes that courage is a heart word. In one of its earliest forms, the word courage meant to speak one's mind by telling all one's heart. Oscar was a courageous person. Oscar was speaking from the heart. The story of migration over and over and over again, it doesn't matter how many guests I receive, every time I can have a sacred conversation with them and listen deeply to their story, I hear a story of the heart. But Jesus doesn't stop there with, with saying, take heart. He looks at the man and says, stand up. I just left Wendell Shank's class at EMU where he was asking me to talk about the, the, the internalized oppression and process of decolonization that must happen in Latin America and, and, sharing, and asked me to share some stories. And, and one story immediately came to mind. And I may have shared this before, but... I love this story. It's my brother. His name is Arturo. He's from Veracruz, Mexico. Arturo and his wife came to live with us in 2002. We bought a house uh, together, a second house, but on the same block that we, that we shared the equity with. And, and now he owns it full and out, full and free of all, of all mortgages. In the state of Georgia, driving without a license is a consequence of not having legal status. In the state of Georgia, you can't get a driver's license if you don't have legal status. And in the state of Georgia, we've become very repressive. Uh, we have even felonized driving without a license. If you are ticketed for a fourth offense of simply driving without a license in the state of Georgia, you are a convicted felon if it happens within a five-year window of time. The very first time that you are uh, ticketed, and by the way, in Georgia, I don't know about here in Virginia, but roadblocks are, are still permitted. Uh, and so most of the time, if, a, if an immigrant, at least in the town that I was living in, is going to get ensnared in this situation, it's going to be in a roadblock. But the first offense, you're arrested, your car is impounded, uh, you have to post bond, you're fingerprinted, so if, you're not, if you don't have an immigration detainer, you have to post bond to get out, then you have to pay to get your car out of the towing, and then your first offense is $500 plus court cost. So it usually runs up to about $725. Each subsequent offense, oh, it also has two days minimum in jail, according to Georgia law, and each subsequent offense the penalties, the fines, the time of uh, incarceration increases until the point, again, that a fourth offense becomes a felony. So I remember the first time that Arturo went uh, to court and he paid that $720 fine and I went with him and I accompanied him and I left with him and I was like, Arturo, that's expensive. I mean, I know we're in rural, you know, west central Georgia. At the time I was living in a, in a, in a town called LaGrange and, uh, and I said, we don't have public transportation, but you probably would do better by calling taxis. The second time that it happened, uh, when he got pulled over in a roadblock, uh, same thing. I, but I was a little bit harsher with them. And I was like, Arturo, when are you going to learn? You just paid over $1,000. This is way too expensive. You need to stop driving. I realized that I was a part of that oppression that was going within him. And yet here we were weekly. We would gather twice a week. We would read scripture and pray together. We would gather one Sunday, every Sunday, and we would, we would have a house church and we would reflect theologically on what does the scripture have to say about immigrants and those who want to live in alliance with them. And it took me a while before I realized, no, I am perpetuating those same internalized oppressions that I saw over and over and over again in court when the judge would ask immigrant after immigrant after immigrant, how long have you lived in the country? And they'd say a year, 18 years, three years. And then the judge would say, why don't you have a driver's license? What 99% of them would say was the internalized oppression language of, it's because I'm illegal. My whole identity is illegal. 
So Arturo was taking his wife, Norma, to a dialysis appointment. When he was hit from behind, the victim of a car accident. But when the police came to do the report and he couldn't provide a driver's license, he was arrested. This is now his third offense. I accompanied him again before the same judge, and the judge asked the same question. When are you going to get a driver's license? This time he stood up in a beautiful demonstration of what it means to speak truth to power and yet also to cling to truth and to speak with love. And he looked at the judge and with respect, I mean, I don't know if any of you have ever been to court, but I get nervous. <laughs> Even if I know all I'm going to have to do is maybe pay a couple hundred dollars and walk out, it's still something nerve-wracking. And here was Arturo, his third offense, facing an over $1,500 fine. And the judge says, why don't you get a license? When are you going to get a license? And he said, with humility and respect, but with honesty and dignity, affirming his own inherent dignity, he said, I will get a driver's license when your laws allow me to. That was simple. But what a transformative moment. Take heart. Stand up, Jesus said. Thirdly, Jesus says, take your bed. Take that symbol of your past, of your woundedness, of your rejection, of all the times that people passed you by and kicked dirt in your face. Take it with you. Remember it. Get up, but take that with you. In 2016, Arturo's wife who had lived with us for 14 years uh, with end-stage renal disease. As I stated, he was taking her to a medical appointment that one instance. Uh, she passed away. She had been in intensive care, had had previous bouts of congestive heart failure. Again, 14 years walking along someone who has end-stage renal disease, I learned a lot. But one of the things that we were totally, that was totally unexpected was uh, that our own son, uh, who was 14, would die the same week, the day before Norma, completely unexpectedly and tragically. To have a double funeral of our 14-year-old son and a 41-year-old woman um, was, was overwhelming for our small community, uh, our small intentional community, our, our house church. The, the, the ramifications of that, I mean, the funeral was in a large, con in a large sanctuary with over 700 people in an overflow space who had come to participate in the funeral of an undocumentable woman who had lived with a chronic illness who wouldn't travel but always opened up her home and showed hospitality and would tell her story with vulnerability and with hope and with confidence and with a son, 14 years old, who would die by a psychosis-induced uh, suicide. The ramifications for our community were, were understandable and immense. I mean, the, 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 the depression that took, that took place amongst all of us, uh, but I can only speak of my own experience. I mean, for a good year, take up your bed. All I could do was, 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 was stay in my bed I mean, to make sense of what was happening around us. I mean, I had given my vocational life to trying to tell people, be encouraged, take heart. I had been arrested for civil disobedience three times. I was trying to tell folks we need to stand up for truth and then to have such a piercing loss. For a full year, truly, did very little 
to try to get myself back into some type of normalcy, I began to just translate in our public schools because it was a wonderful way for me just to enter into the, into the immigrant community that I had loved so much and that had been so sustaining for me, but I could come in, perform a task that didn't require a lot of mental activity, and I could leave and leave it all behind. I didn't have to spin lots of plates. I wasn't organizing. I wasn't planning. I wasn't administering. I was walking in, interpreting, doing something that I loved to do, and walking out and leaving it behind, and if I had nothing else going on, going right back to bed. That was that year. After a year, our therapist had encouraged us not to make any major decisions for a full year. So after that year, we decided that we would move, and we would move into this cul-de-sac in the same little town that we were in that had 28 uh, townhomes, all owned by the same owner, and all inhabited by first-wave immigrant families, mostly from Guatemala. The, The street was called Mona Lane, but we called it Guatemona. As soon as we arrived there, the families all knew us, knew our story, Um, both of our acts of service within the community and also of our own loss. And hospitality was totally reversed. That little street felt like we lived in a little Guatemalan village, and they would come and knock on our doors, and they would bring us tamales and bring us food. There were 50 children under the age of 18 in this little cul-de-sac. They would come and visit with us. We started an after-school tutoring program. I got out of bed took up my bed, I took my pains, I took my sufferings, I took my woundedness, and I matched it with the sufferings and the woundedness of this world. And finally, Jesus says, go home. Take heart. Stand up. Take your bed and go home. What I've learned from over 20 years now of radical hospitality, even when we moved to Atlanta, we moved to Atlanta to discern. That's why I'm with the Quakers. I figured Quakers are good at discernment, and they had a friend in residency program, and it was supposed to be a two-year program. Here I am in year five of a two-year residency. I was like, I'm going to go live with Quakers for two years. I'm going to go study spiritual direction, uh, and then after those two years, I'll have really good discernment, and I'll know what's going on. But as Quakers say, way opened in ways that I could have never have expected. I was in a gentrified neighborhood. I live in a gentrified neighborhood in Atlanta. I was like, I felt like I was stalking immigrants because now the only time I could interact with them is if I saw someone who was doing construction or landscaping and they didn't know who I was and I'd be trying to talk to them and and they would be looking at me with a lot of suspicion. But I found that, that going home for me is embracing a call of hospitality. And that hospitality is the call to remind everyone that wherever you are, you can be home. Even if it's just for a moment, to know that this can be your home. When I leave Harrisonburg, if I've left this place well, I'll feel like I've left a piece of home. So the waitress comes up and pours Oscar another cup of coffee. And he pulls out his phone. We're back in the Waffle House. And Oscar says to me, I want to show you something. And he showed me a photo of him and Oscar Jr. at two weeks old. Now, I couldn't just look at Oscar and just say in that moment, Oscar, take heart. I said to him, Oscar, it is so obvious that you love your son. I can tell in this photo of how you're holding him, how your gaze is intently focused upon him, that you love your son. And in hearing your story in this one brief interaction, how much you long to be with your son, but also what courage it took for you to seek refuge, and to one day hopefully reunify with your family in a place of safety.
I told him, I said, I said, my, I know my heart breaks. I didn't tell him my story, but you can tell, like, I would have had a lot of transference issues going on right then. I was like, my heart breaks you because I know that no loving father wants to be separated from his children. At least because of a world where we can't protect ourselves and those we love. And in that, a tear began to roll down Oscar's face. And as that tear rolled down his face, I made one final observation of that image of the father holding the child. I said, Oscar, I said, there's something else I see here. I said, what if God is the loving parent and you are the beloved child enfolded in God's arms? The danger is still all around you. But how does that change this image. Oscar looked at the photo again in the sanctity of Waffle House. He looked at me and simply said, it means I'm not alone. Let's take a, a, brief, a, a brief moment to pause and marinate in what has just been shared. And as we continue to keep our ears and our hearts open to what God is saying to us today, I invite you to stand up in body or spirit. Um, and either turn to page 419 in Voices Together or look to the walls around you. And we'll join together in a hymn which turns 100 years old this year. Great is thy faithfulness.
we are entering into a time of communion as a response to the messages we have heard and an affirmation of the presence of Christ among us. We practice open communion here at Eastern Mennonite Seminary. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you are invited to partake. We will begin with a reading. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. Many will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and will eat at God's table. At the Passover meal in the upper room, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. He said to his disciples, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. When our beloved, the risen Christ, was eating at the table with the disciples, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whosoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The risen Christ welcomes us to the feast before us. I invite you to join us in prayer. God of heaven and earth, at your invitation, all things come into being. From generation to generation, you have cared for all that you created. For this, we adore you. God of covenant love, even when your people turned from you, you sought and restored them. For this, we praise you. Finally, you, you, you anointed your beloved child, Jesus, to redeem and fulfill your purpose for creation. By your wisdom, the beloved one fed the hungry, healed the afflicted, and was anointed by a woman. He ate with the scorned, delighted in children, and washed the disciples' feet. He challenged the powerful and brought good news to the poor. At the Passover feast, Jesus hosted a holy meal. There he enacted his gift of enduring presence. When Jesus was handed over, crucified, and killed by the hands of lawless ones, you did not abandon him. He freely offered you his life and death on our behalf. Through him you reconciled the world to yourself and created a new humanity, the church. You raised your beloved child up. Death could not hold him. You opened your covenant with Israel to all humanity and gave us life everlasting. By your spirit, let the bread we break and the cup we share be a communion with the risen Christ and one another. By your spirit, bind us in communion with all creation. By your spirit, empower us to offer your abundant life to the world you love. Remembering these gifts of grace, we celebrate and give you thanks. United with Christ and with all who stand before you in earth and heaven, we worship you, O God, in everlasting praise. Amen. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, when you share bread together, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. When you drink it together, remember me. I invite you to join me in prayer. God of grace and love, your faithfulness roots our lives, holding us with patience and grace. Your mercy and goodness overflow each day, filling us with the harvest of love. Thank you for this bread of Christ, blessed by earth, hand, and heaven. 
Thank you for this cup of Christ, blessed by earth, hand, and heaven. May your spirit feed us with this bread and satisfy us with this cup, nourishing our bodies, minds, and spirits. All who wish to are invited now to partake in this service of communion. You may come forward through the aisle on your right, receive a piece of bread from Reverend Brett, dip it in the cup that Reverend Dan will be holding, and then please return to your seats by the middle aisle. There are some gluten-free elements. Please ask for that when you approach, and Brett will share that with you. I invite you now to come by way of the right aisle if you wish. Eat and be nourished by this bread. Drink and be satisfied by this cup. We will close with a litany that will be projected on the screens. I invite you to join me aloud in reading the bold print 
that is indicated by all. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise God's holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all God's benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who rescues your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. We bless you, O God, for your healing love and your gift of salvation, for your gracious gifts of bread and cup. We bless you for nourishing us in this love of this community and for sustaining us in hope. We pray for strength to prepare us for your service as we offer to you our lives of worship and witness in the world you have made. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. For our final hymn this morning, we will have the blessing and singing in not just one, but in two beautiful languages. Um, verses 1 and 4 will sing in English, and verses 2 and 3 uh, we will sing in Spanish. Um, I invite you to stand in body or spirit as you feel led, and let's sing together. Take heart. Take heart. Stand up. 
pick up your bed, your woundedness, your sorrows, your suffering, the things of a past that once was, but that has been redeemed, and know that you are always home and never alone. Go in peace.